Amen. Amen. Y'all having fun uh, worshiping with this crew this week? Heck yeah. Um, if you have a Bible with you, which I hope you do, do me a favor and turn to John chapter 18. Hey, John chapter 18. John chapter 18. And we're going to be jumping in here in just a second, but y'all seen my, my little girl Piper running around camp? I was thinking about this as I was, uh, as I was prepping for tonight. I was thinking through how I wanted to communicate what I wanted to communicate. And I, my, my little girl popped into my head. And Piper was born uh, September 17th, 2020. And so she'll be two this fall. And I, I can't help but think about like it, the, the last year and a half, and, and every parent will tell you this, like every parent we interact with will, will tell us the same thing of like, man, that the years just, they just fly by. And if you're a parent in this room, uh, you know that to be true. It, maybe it seems like yesterday that your kids were just, they were little and they were running around and you were changing diapers and putting them down for naps. And then now right, some of you have maybe kids in this room or grown kids or kids in college or kids who have kids themselves. And when I think about, when I think about Piper growing up and I think about what I want for her, and what I think about what I desire most for her. And, and I think about little things, right? Like I, I hope she, I hope she has fun in elementary school. Like I look back on elementary school and just like the time of my life. Like I remember coming in from recess, like I was the kid whose shirt was just filthy. I was like so sweaty, like red face. Like I just went, I went hard at recess. Like I loved coming back in. Like every recess for me was the Super Bowl or the NBA finals or like, like whatever it was, like I, I just left it all out on the field, like every recess. And I hope, I hope Piper just gets to play and just have fun and be a kid. And, and then I think about junior high, right? In these years, like sixth, seventh and eighth grade where you're just like, you're in this in-between, you're not in high school yet, but you're not in elementary school yet, and like so many of us are still like figuring ourselves out, right? Like it's, it's, such, a, it's such a pivotal three years, which by the way, um, McKinley, where are you at? Went on the blob. Legend right here, McKinley. You, when you walked out of the water, you had like a white stripe like all the way down just from the Serious legend, okay? So like, I look at, I look at a girl like McKinley, like who like smacked and came out of the water with like tears in her eyes, but it was like, I'm fine, right? Like just like beast mode walking out of the water and I go like, dang, I hope my little girl, like I, I hope my little Piper gets to experience life and like even though she might experience pain or get hurt, that she can like face it head on and be tough. And I think about high school and I think about college and I think about maybe a, a career and, and does she... Does she get married? Does she meet a man that I don't kill? Like, is that possible? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not, right? And is she going to have kids? Am I going to be a grandpa someday? Like, I think about all the things that I want for my daughter. But as I was prepping for tonight, friends, the number one thing, like, if none of those things that I just mentioned happen, like, the number one thing I want for Piper is I want her to have a deep understanding and knowledge of and relationship with Jesus. And you might be sitting here go like, oh, cliche pastor guy wants his daughter to know Jesus. But friends, let me get something straight, okay? For me, growing up in the church, 
knowing the answers up here, like having a cognitive understanding of who God is and who Jesus is. And like I did a wanna, I had the vest, right? I had the jewels, like I memorized the verses. But it, knowing Jesus is so much more than that, right? Like if you went to a Justin Bieber concert and any Justin Bieber fans in here? Okay, all seven of us, okay? If you went to a, if you went to a Justin Bieber concert, what about Olivia Rodrigo? Any Olivia Rodrigo fans? Okay. We'll, we'll shift gears, okay? If you, went to, if you went to an Olivia Rodrigo concert and you know, like, you know all the lyrics to her songs, like you, you've like followed her journey, like you know the whole like Disney drama, you know who the album's written about, right? You're like, I can't believe he would, and I can't believe, oh my gosh, like she, Deja, do you, do you sing Deja Vu? When he, like whatever, like you know all the lyrics and everything. Okay, stay with me. Good, okay. Like you go to the concert, you know all the words, you know the backstory, you follow her on social media, like you get all the picture. But if you, like if you walked up somehow, like you got backstage afterwards, and you like walked up to Olivia Rodrigo's uh, dressing room, and you were like, and, you, and she opened the door, you'd be like, Olivia! And she'd be like, um, security, right? Like, I, I don't know you. I don't have any relationship with you. Like, there's no, and you're like, no, but I know all your songs, and like, I follow you on social media, and I know the whole story, and you might know everything there is to know about her, but you don't know her. Does that make sense? You don't have a relationship with her. Right, like I, I have like a, a weird childhood hero. It's Shia LaBeouf, okay? Like I know that's like a, but like the movie Holes, like I love the movie Holes. Okay, great, great. Like I, I would argue, and you can find me afterwards and argue me, like I would argue that Shia LaBeouf is like the greatest actor of our generation. Like there's just something about Shia that hits home for me. And I was on Catalina one time, uh, the island with Paige, and we were, we were walking around Catalina, we had played mini golf out there, and we were hanging out, and I look up, and I'm like, oh my gosh, that's Shia LaBeouf. Like literally staying right there. And I'm like, babe, that's Shia LaBeouf. And she knows how much I love Shia LaBeouf. And I'm like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, that's Shia LaBeouf, what do I do, what do I do, what do I do? I'm like, I know his movies, I know his backstory, right? Like I know how his dad came up in Hollywood as like a clown and you know, raised him. Like I know weird things about Shia LaBeouf that like most people, you, you, like, you shouldn't know. Like it's, I'm not a stalker, okay? I just like am a big fan. And so I walk up to Shia, and I'm like, yo, what's up, Shia? And he looks at me, and I'm like, hey, like, I'm a big fan. Like, can, I get a, can I get a photo with you? And he's like, nah, man, I'm with my family. And I was like, okay. Like, I'm okay, right? Like, I walk away, and I go back, and Paige is like, what do you say? I was like, uh, he said, no. <laughs> I was like, okay. I mean, like, I can know everything there is to know about Shia LaBeouf, but I don't know Shia LaBeouf. He doesn't know me. There's no relationship there. And so when I think about Piper, I think about, man, she's gonna be raised in a pastor's household. Like, I'm a pastor, my wife's a pastor, we both work at the church, and she's gonna know all these things about God. But friends, I believe wholeheartedly that every single one of us, at the end of our lives, which I know that's maybe weird to think about as like a sixth grader, seventh grader, eighth grader, like it's weird to think about the end of your life. Like a lot of you feel invincible. Like, I just turned 30, and I, there's a lot of me that still feels invincible until, like, I do the 
small, like I played kickball and I woke up the next day like, right? Like my body hurts. Okay. But like you start thinking about like, man, at the end of my life, I believe every single one of us will be asked two questions. Number one, I believe face to face with the God of the universe will be asked this question. Do you know my son? Do you know my son? Not do you know about Jesus? Not do you know a lot about this book? Not did you go to Hume Lake Christian camps? Not what was your church attendance? Not who are your parents? Not who are your grandparents? Not who is your youth pastor? Do you know my son? And then number two, what did you do with what I, with what I gave you? What did you do with what I gave you? Were you a steward of what I gave you, what I gifted you with? And so when I think about Piper Girl, friends, can I tell you what I think about? I wanna spend every minute of every hour of every day just pointing her to Jesus in hopes that she meets him and not based on my relationship with him, not based on my knowledge and understanding of him, but that she would fall in love with Jesus because Jesus himself is love. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. It says, it's not that we loved God, it's that God loved us and then sent, he gave his son on our behalf. It's John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gives us Jesus. Remember last night, John chapter one, verse 14, the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. God loves us so much that he goes he, he, he moves towards us first and foremost. Yeah, I love that Harry did this, um, I can't remember when it was, this morning, last night, I don't remember when he did it, but I'm gonna ask you to do it too. Counselors, can you stand for a second? Counselors in the room, youth pastors. Okay, stay standing for me, okay? Y'all, do you know why, do you know why these counselors are here right now, okay? And this is a rhetorical question, okay? Do you know why they're here? Do you know why they're here at camp? Do you know why they gave up a week away from whatever they gave a week away with? I got to sit. I got to sit in a meeting with a couple of youth pastors that left families at home, that left sick loved ones at home, that left little kids at home, and their 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 wives have like their kids by themselves. They're they're single parenting for the week. Some of them gave up a week of paid work. They work jobs where they get paid, and they took vacation to come in here and be with you. Do you want to know why? Not because they need more 12-year-old friends, okay? Like not a single one of these leaders was like, you know what I need in my life? I just need a few more 11-year-old friends, okay? Stay with me. Hey, stay with me. Friends, every single one of these counselors, every single one of these leaders, do you want to know why they're here? Because they met Jesus and Jesus changed everything about their life. So as they sleep on these little mattresses on bunk beds and they give up pay and they walk away from family and they take vacation to come and be with you, they're here because they love you enough to say once upon a time I was a junior hire that needed somebody to tell me about Jesus and Jesus changed everything about my life. So don't confuse why they're here. Are they here to have fun? Sure. Are they here to like belly flop and make fools of themselves? Yeah, sure. But the primary reason that they're here is because Jesus changed everything about their life. And so the reason that you have these incredible leaders in your life walking alongside you is because of this person of Jesus. Hey, y'all can take a seat. So where do we get this? 
Where do we get this Jesus character? What do, we, what do we do with him? How do we learn about him? Last night, we talked about this book. Remember this book? Right, 66 books, 40 different authors, three languages, three continents, 2,000 years telling one story. And that one story can be summarized like this. Good. God with us. If you don't remember anything else this week, I hope that you fall in love with this book and this text because it demonstrates that the God of the universe desires to be with us. And I hope that never becomes old news for you. I hope that never becomes like, oh, whatever, just God wants to be with us. Do you realize how nuts that is? If there's a God who's powerful enough to go, let there be light, boom, an actual light comes out of darkness, and he says, mountain range, you go there, and an actual mountain range comes up, right? You know what happens when I say tree, grow? Nothing, okay? Why? Because I'm me, I'm just a a guy, right? I'm just like, I'm just me. I'm here today, I'm gone tomorrow. The Bible describes my life as like mist, like like grass, it's like, it's like axe spray. You just go, Tsst. you know, that was Austin Payne. That was the entirety of his life. That's what the Bible says my life is. And so I go, mountain range, you go there, and nothing happens. When the God of the universe speaks, things happen. Mountains actually listen to him. And if this God spoke and wanted to reveal himself to us, I hope we fall in love with this book and understand that God is with us. He desires to be with us. His love went first. And one of the primary ways that we see God is through the person of Jesus. In John chapter one, it says that we can actually look at Jesus and behold the glory of the father, that we can understand more about God because the person of Jesus. And so what I want to do tonight is I want to look at a couple of passages I want to look at John chapter 18, and then I want to dive into two other spots, and I want to look at these interactions that Jesus had with people, that every single one of these interactions left, left us at a crossroads. Hey, you ever been uh, like on a hike before, or like on a walkabout, backpacking, anything like that, where you come up to, there's like, there's like a, a, a spot on the trail where there's multiple ways that you can go? Hey, in every one of these stories, I want to I want to ask the question at the end of the story. Okay, so what is Jesus getting at here? What's the crossroads? People get to respond in a couple of different ways. Do I want to lean in to this person of Jesus? Am I going to listen? Am I going to engage? Or am I going to downplay? Am I going to disregard? Hey, we're going to look at a couple of different stories here. But before we get into the text, hey, I, I want you to look at this picture of buildings and trees. Oh, there it is. It's up there. Um, yeah, this guy. Okay. Um, when you Google Jesus, you ever done that before? Yeah. Yeah. This is one of the first photos on Google images right here. This is Jesus. Hey, and, th- and this photo, honestly, it kind of cracks me up. Here's why. Like, well, for a couple of reasons, it cracks me up. But like, first of all, <laughs> what is this? Like, I don't know. Like, well, I don't know when this photo was taken. I don't know when Jesus posed for this one. But like, there's a couple of things that kind of crack me up here. Like one, like he just seems so like ethereal. He seems like floaty. Right? You're like, hello, Jesus. And he's like, oh. <laughs> he's white, which I don't really understand. Okay, like the, the Jesus of the Bible is Middle Eastern. They, they uh, guess he was about 5'2", five, 5'3", five, probably. Uh, the Bible actually says there was nothing remarkable about his looks, which is code for 
probably ugly, like he probably wasn't very good looking. And so when you look at this Jesus, can I be honest? Can I be really honest? In my life, when anxiety strikes, in my life when hardship comes, in my life when there are insecurities, in my life when I have doubts, when I'm experiencing shame, when I'm going through my darkest hours, y'all, this is not the Jesus that I wanna turn to, right? If I'm in like my darkest hour, and I'm, I'm just like walking through some serious just struggle in my life, which can I, can I just tell you, you're, you're in like one of three places right now when it comes to struggle. You're either in it, you're either like hurting right now, and you came up to camp and maybe nobody knows or maybe a couple close people know, but you're, you're hurting. You're either in a moment of struggle and pain right now, you're coming out of a moment of struggle and pain right now, like as you look in the rearview mirror, that's been your last couple of months or that's been your last couple of years, or you're going into a season of struggle and pain. Ask any one of those leaders that stood up, and I promise you, in this world, we will have difficulty. And when difficulty strikes our lives, friends, this isn't the Jesus that I want to turn to. Like, he doesn't look like he's ever had dirt under his fingernails. He looks very ethereal and floaty. And if I was like in, a, in the midst of like a deep battle with anxiety or just like a deep struggle, and I turned to this Jesus, and he just went, yes. I, that wouldn't, like that, this doesn't help. Okay, so, but here's what I wanna do tonight. I don't want us to turn to our ideas of who Jesus is or our thoughts on who Jesus is or on who you think Jesus is or on how, what you feel like Jesus is. I want to let the text inform us of who Jesus is. Can we do that together? Yes? Because when we turn to this Jesus, we confuse Jesus for what we think Jesus is rather than understanding that the Bible is actually pretty clear on who Jesus is. In fact, it gives us four whole books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, where Jesus himself speaks a lot of words. He teaches, he makes claims about himself. And so I don't wanna confuse this Jesus for the Jesus of the Bible. Cool? Okay, John chapter 18. If you're there, say preach. preach. If you're not, say hold on. I will hold until you get there, but if you don't have a Bible and you said hold on, get out. No, I'm just kidding. Um, okay, John chapter 18. Let me give you a little bit of context here. We're gonna pick up in verse 28 where Jesus is on trial. And we actually saw this this morning in the dramas. But let me give you a little bit of context. Hey, Jesus is with his disciples and they're, uh, they're hanging out in a garden. And then all of a sudden, one of the disciples that betrays Jesus, he goes to the religious leaders that are looking to arrest him and he leads them to where Jesus is in the garden. And there's this interaction between Jesus and the religious leaders or the purebreds, right? You know the, the dogs, that stand on this side of the stage that are very like hoity-toity. I'm like, yes, we are the purebreds. Those are the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They're the religious leaders that we see in the text. And then in the garden, there's this amazing moment where Peter, like I love Peter all throughout the gospels. Like he's the one who just like, he, he spouts off his mouth. He, he talks before he thinks. He says really ridiculous things, but he's also like extremely loyal. And I love this moment where uh, they come to arrest Jesus and it says that Peter took out a sword and one of the guys that came to arrest Jesus, Peter like cuts his ear off, okay? Which, okay, okay. Which I've always like, like I've always read that the same way that you did, right? And you're like, yeah, Peter, like he went, he defended Jesus, yeah. Right, okay, 
you either have to be like an extremely skilled swordsman or like a really terrible swordsman. If you're trying to defend somebody and you're like, ah, and you cut somebody's ear off and they're just like, ow, you got my, like he didn't do anything for Jesus. He just cut some dude's ear off. And contextually, like we can read it in the other gospels. Jesus actually looks at Peter and he's like, what are you, what are you doing? Peter, put your sword away. Like you're a fisherman, like put that thing away. You don't know what you're doing. And he picks up the dude's ear and he heals him. Like he just, he literally puts his ear back on, which that moment had to be nuts. Like you come to arrest Jesus, you get your ear cut off. And then the Jesus that you were arresting, like heals you. And you're like, oh, thanks. I don't really want to arrest you anymore. Like they, thank you, like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go, right? Like, he just, th- that moment had to be wild. But they arrest Jesus, and they take him in front of the purebreds, and then the purebreds, they take him to the Romans. And then this Pilate that we're going to read about here, Pilate is one of the top dogs in the Roman Empire. He would have been uh, a ruler, a judge, a, a person of, of power who sat in a seat of authority. And Pilate is standing with Jesus, and this is where we pick up the story in John chapter 18, verse 28. He says this, Then the Jewish leaders took Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor. By now it was very early morning, and to to avoid ceremonial uncleanness, they did not enter the palace because they wanted to be able to eat Passover. So Pilate came out to them and asked, what charges are you bringing against this man? If he were not a criminal, they replied, we would not have handed him over to you. And Pilate said, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law but we have no right to execute anyone they objected. This took place to fulfill what Jesus had said about the kind of death he was going to die. Pilate then went back inside the palace. He summons Jesus and he asks him, hey, pay attention to this. Pilate says to Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus says, is that your own idea or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate replied, your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it that you've done? Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But by now, my kingdom is from another place. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into this world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on this side of the truth listens to me. Pause right there and look up at me. This is a powerful claim that Jesus makes here. According to Jesus, truth cannot be based on personal preference or my perspective. According to Jesus, truth is not personal or individual. He says, I am truth. Right? Remember John 14, 6, we talked about this night one. Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Nobody gets to the Father except through me. And then here he says, I was born to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Jesus is making a powerful claim here in front of one of the most powerful people in the Roman Empire who would have said, do you want to know what truth is? Truth is armies. Truth is an empire. Truth is Caesar. And so Pilate looks at him and he goes, oh, you're a king. Jesus says, you made that claim. Yes, I am. I am truth. Everybody who is on the side of the truth listens to me. Here there's a crossroads. There is a decision to be made on the behalf of Pilate. What is he going to do with this Jesus character who's in front of him? Jesus will not and cannot be ignored. You can't ignore Jesus. 
And whether you're coming up to camp and you've been around church all the time or you're coming up to camp and maybe this is all brand new to you, friends, the person of Jesus cannot be ignored. And we're gonna do one of three things with him. And the first thing that we can do is we can just disregard Jesus. A pilot here sitting in his seat of authority just goes, oh, you're a king? And he goes, yes, that's what I am. And he's gonna wash his hands of this situation. He's gonna hand over Jesus back to the Jews and he's just gonna go, look, I'm, I, wipe my cleans, I, I wipe my hands clean of this entire situation. And he just disregards Jesus. And there's plenty of people in scripture and there's plenty of people that walk this earth. There's plenty of people maybe even in this chapel that just go, eh, I don't really know, but I don't really care. When it comes to this person of Jesus, I, I don't really know and I don't really care. The first thing you can do with Jesus is just disregard him. Just, just, eh, that's, he's, he was just a historical figure. He was just that, that guy that they talk about at church. You can be like Pilate and you can disregard him. Hey, turn with me to John chapter four. Y'all remember in the drama this morning, uh, you remember the, the cat that walked up the center aisle? I hate y'all booter. <laughs> y'all are ruthless, okay? But like, the, remember the, the, the dramas, there was like the scene up front and then the cat walked all skittish. I loved the cat. She walked with her, like, her hands up here. She was all skittish. And she got up, up front. She was doing like her kitty cat thing in a dog's world. Did y'all hear Piper during the dramas the other day where she was like, hi, doggy, doggy. She loves dogs. And so when she walked into the set and saw like a whole world of dogs, she was losing her mind. Okay? And she, he's up here and the, the kitty cat's here and it's all nervous. And they're asking the, the cat this question about, tell me about your interaction with Jesus. Remember this? Okay? That comes straight out of this, this story right here, John chapter four. Read this with me. Okay? John chapter four um, starting in verse, uh, let's start in verse four. Okay, chapter four, verse four. It's my lucky number. Now he had to go through Samaria. Circle that word had. Now he had to go through Samaria. Friends, this is significant. When you see something in your Bible like this, when you see a word like had to go through Samaria, you should beg the question, why? Why would Jesus have to go through Samaria? And then it should beg the question, well, where is Samaria? What is Samaria? Why was this character a cat? Hey, in the first century, you had Jews and you had Samaritans. And the Samaritans, they were kind of this like, this mix between Jews and Gentiles. Gentiles were simply non-Jews. And the Samaritans, had, they had gone outside of uh, simply Jewish people and they had married Gentiles and they had this mixed breed within the Samaritans and Jews didn't really associate with them because they weren't Jews. But then Gentiles didn't really associate with them because they weren't Gentiles. They were like this weird in-between group. So they were that people group and everybody just kind of avoided them. They just went like, ugh, Samaritans. Okay, so when it says that Jesus had to go through Samaria, if his disciples who were Jewish watched Jesus go through Samaria, they'd be like, um, Jesus, hello, what do you do? Like, why are you going that? And he goes, I have to go through Samaria. Let's find out why. Now, Jesus had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot ground of Jacob that had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from his journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. Again, Pay attention to this detail. It was about noon. Why would they tell us that? Lost my place. Okay, here we go. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? 
His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, um, you are a Jew, I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water that I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water that I give them will become a spring of water welling up into eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty again and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go call your husband and come back. And she said, um, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you were right when you say that you have no husband. The fact is you have five husbands and the man you're with now is not your husband. What, have you, just, what you just have said is quite true. Notice her response here, verse 19, I love this. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worship on this mountain, but you Jews, to claim, you Jews claim that this place where we, were, we must worship is Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers that the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and truth. Okay? Significant moment in Jesus' ministry where he goes to that place and talks to that girl and from that town and those people. Do you want to know why it says that she, it was about noon? Hey, this woman, if she's a Samaritan, she's already an outcast, a part of an outcasted people. And then she goes to draw water at noon. It is a significant moment. Why? In a day and age where you can't just like turn on a faucet and water comes out, you got to walk to a well on a daily basis to get water. Does that make sense? Okay. But if you're going to walk to get water, right? like I, I spent uh, about six weeks in South Africa after I graduated high school and we were up in this little teeny town called Mavusa and we had to walk all the way down this big hill and we had to fill up these jugs of water and then walk all the way back up the hill every single day. And it was like, it was so hot in the middle of the day. And so if you're gonna make a trek up a hill carrying these heavy things of water, when are you gonna do it? When it's cool, in the morning or in the evening. So the fact that she's doing it in the middle of the day should make us go, huh? Why would you do that? Friends, if you wanted to be completely alone and not rub shoulders with anybody, we do this today in our day and age. You know how we do it? If you walk up to you, if you get to youth group early or if you're standing in line somewhere and you don't want to interact with anybody, what do you do? You pull out your phone and you just bury your face in it, right? Or you just throw your AirPods in or, or you put your headphones in and you just put your face in it, right? And you just go like, please, no one talk to me. Please, no one disrupt this little bubble that exists of just me and my device. If you don't want to interact with people, you know how to do it. This woman, she's, a, she's an outcast amongst outcasts. She's had five husbands and the man that she's with right now isn't her husband. She's the last person that we would expect Jesus to be around, especially the Jesus that, I like remember this Jesus? Um, that Jesus would never be with that girl in that town in that place. Right? Like she's a total outcast. And he walks up to her 
and he sits down and he interacts with her and her, his very presence shocks her. He goes, she goes like, um, what are you doing? He goes, and he engages her in conversation. He starts inviting her deeper and he's gonna reveal to her here who he is. This is one of the first moments in the New Testament. It's the first moment in the book of John where Jesus actually reveals to somebody who he is. He invites her deeper. But do you know what her first response is? When he says, where's your husband? She goes, um, I don't have a husband. <laughs> and he goes, you're right. You don't have a husband. You actually have five. And the man you're with right now isn't your husband. She's like, um, I see that you're a prophet. Do you, know what he, do you know what she does? You know what her initial reaction to this Jesus is? Ah, you're, it's, a, it's a magic trick. You're a prophet. You're a good teacher. I promise you, friends, as sixth graders, seventh graders, and eighth graders, you're going to grow up in a day and age that's going to look at Jesus and that's going to look at the Bible and go, yeah, Jesus, for sure, walked to the earth. He was a good teacher. He was a good moral teacher. I can't tell you how many of my friends look at Jesus and go like, absolutely. Yeah, no, he, love your neighbor, good teacher, good moral code. There's plenty things about Jesus that we should take and we should adopt into our society. It's just like, there's a lot of other things that like about Christianity or the Bible, like, I don't know. Like, I'll take some of it, but not all of it. You know what the problem with that is? One of my favorite theologians of all time, a guy by the name of C.S. Lewis. Hey, yeah, y'all ever watched the Chronicles of Narnia movies, right? Great movies, okay? Mr. Tumnus, all time, okay? But... The C.S. Lewis movies, they're written by, uh, or sorry, the um, Chronicles of Narnia, there we go. I almost said mere Christianity movies. That's not a thing yet, okay? Maybe Shia LaBeouf will star in it, who knows, okay? But uh, the, the Chronicles of Narnia movies, they're written by C.S. Lewis, or the books, rather, that they made into movies. And this, this guy, C.S. Lewis, when he, he's talking about Jesus, he said this. He said, Jesus was either a lunatic, a liar, or he was Lord, he was either a lunatic, a liar, or he was Lord. There's, there's no in-between. It's impossible for, he to, for him to be a good teacher. You want to know why? No good teacher says, I am the only way to the Father. It's not Buddhism. It's not Mormonism. It's not Islam. It's not spirituality. It's not like this yogi connect with your inner self. It's not crystals. It's not, there is nothing that leads to the one singular God of the universe except for me. I mean, no, no good teacher makes the claims that Jesus made about himself. If, if Jesus walked the earth today, none of us would go like, oh, he's got like some good morals. No, it, he's either a lunatic, he's out of his mind, he's saying, I am the bread of life, I am the good shepherd, right? I am the gate, I am the bread of, like I, I, everything is about me. The entire Old Testament, all of the Bible, I am God, I am the son of God. These claims that he makes about himself, there's no way that he's just a good teacher, he's just a good prophet. He's either who he said he was, and we put him on the throne, and we call him king like he claimed to be in front of Pilate, or he's a lunatic. He's out of his mind. And, and so you ask the question, well, why was Jesus, why was he put to his death? Why was he on trial? It's because in the first century they got this. They understood he either is who he said he was, or we should kill him because he's a heretic. He's a liar. He's a lunatic. But we, 2,000 years later, we have this ability to kind of soften it and go, ah, well, he's just a good teacher. Hey, turn with me to John chapter 6. 
In John chapter six, maybe a familiar story to you, Jesus, he's been teaching out in the countryside and a bunch of people have gathered and a little boy comes up with his lunch because the disciples are like, hey, there's like 5,000 people here and they're getting hungry. Like, what do we do with these people? Do we send them home? Like, it would cost a ton of money to feed these people. Like, what do we do? And so a little boy comes up with his lunch and he's like, hey, I, I got this lunch and Jesus grabs the lunch and he looks up to heaven and he thanks God for it. And then they start passing out this little boy's lunch and it multiplies and God, God feeds 5,000 people with one, one little boy's lunch. But there's a moment in here that I want us to catch and it's this. Chapter six, verse 14. It says this, after the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. When Jesus feeds the 5,000, there's this moment where he realizes the reason there's such a big crowd here is not because they're here to be in relationship with me or because they understand my teaching. They're here because they want to see the show. They want to see the lights and sounds. They want to get fed. They want the aftermath. They're going to come as as a mob after this and make him a political king. And so you know what he does? He withdraws. And then later on in chapter six, turn with me to verse 51. Chapter six, verse 51. This is where it gets, oh, this is about to get good, y'all. Okay, um, okay here's what I want us to do. We got like five minutes left in chapel, okay? So I asked you to do this last night. I'm gonna ask you to do it again, okay? Sit up in your chair. If someone's sleeping next to you, give them a little gentle, a little, a little gentle nudge, Okay? Turn to your Bible. The gentle nudge doesn't mean that you open up your mouth, okay? Give him a gentle nudge with your mouth closed. Don't miss this. Don't miss this, okay? Friends, if you think your Bible's boring, it's because you haven't read it, okay? These are the moments where I read John chapter six. You ever read parts of your Bible and go like, hmm, yes, yes, good. And then go, wait, what? Has that ever happened to you? Right, where you read your Bible and you're like, oh, okay, yeah, for sure. Wait, huh? This is one of those moments for me, okay? In full disclosure, I would love to have a conversation with you afterwards. I have studied this passage through and through. Right? I, have, I have a degree in biblical and theological studies, and this is still a passage that I wrestle with and just go, what? Like, I cannot wait to sit face-to-face with Jesus and go, like, you, you gotta help me understand this one. Like, what were you doing? Like, I wish I, could, I wish I could be a fly on the wall in the midst of this conversation, but here's what I believe. When it comes to Jesus... We can, we can disregard him like Pilate did. We can downplay him and go, oh, he's just a good teacher. He's a prophet. Yeah, Jesus was this great historical figure and we should listen to some of his teachings. We can downplay him and go, well, yeah, he, he performed some miracles and I would love to even have Jesus in my life. I'd, have to, I'd like to have him as a part of my life. I, I like to call that second downplay lunchable Jesus. You know the Lunchables that you like zip, you, you know, you peel back and it's like, got like the make your own pizza and you got like the pepperonis and the cheese and the, you know, the crackers and all this stuff. It's like all the compartments. If we, if we Lunchable downplay Jesus, we go, we invite Jesus into a part of our life. We go, yeah, I go to, I go to youth group a couple times a week. 
You know, I, sometimes I even like open up my Bible and I do like a devotional time. And we invite Jesus in to be a part of our life. And in John chapter six, verse 51, I think we see Jesus' reaction when people disregard him, when people downplay him. This is where Jesus, he kind of turns up the heat a little bit on the people that are following him. Spoiler alert. When Jesus says what he's about to say, you know what happens to the crowd that was just with him that got fed, the 5,000 people? A bunch of people go like this. What? Huh? Nah, I'm out. Hey, over and over and over again, you watch Jesus teach, you watch Jesus perform a miracle, you watch Jesus engage with a crowd of people, and people go, oh, and they flock to him. This is a unique moment in scripture in John chapter six, where Jesus teaches something, and people go, that's not what I expected. That's not, wait, I thought Jesus was, what? I thought you were like, I thought you were the miracle guy. I thought you were the like multiply bread guy. I thought you were the, wait, huh? And friends, when Jesus isn't what you expect him to be, what are you gonna do with that? When you come to the crossroads of Jesus not being who you expected him to be or not being whom who you want him to be, is, is your Jesus dependent on your thoughts about him and your feelings or do you let Jesus be Jesus? Because here's what he's about to say in John chapter 6, verse 51. He says this. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man, talking about himself, and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. I will raise them up on the last day, for my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on the, this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue of Capernaum. On hearing this, hey, pay attention to this, verse 60. On hearing this, many of his, what? Disciples. These are the people that are closest to him. Do you know what the word disciple means? It literally means learner. It means follower. In the first century, disciples would have had a rabbi, a teacher, and they, the, the way that they knew somebody was a disciple is they would, they would use this term. They would say, I'm a disciple of this rabbi because I'm covered in the dust of his feet. Do you know how you get covered in the dust of somebody's feet? You walk very closely behind them. So the disciples, the learners, the followers, these are the people that have been along for the ride. They've seen the miracles. They've heard Jesus teach. Many of the disciples upon hearing this said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit and life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them was about to betray him. And he went on to say, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. Verse 66, pay attention to this. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. And this is one of my favorite parts of the entire New Testament. Verse 67, 
Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, you do not want to leave too, do you? And Simon Peter answers him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Hey, so what do we do with this? What do we do with this funky passage where Jesus looks at a crowd and says, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood. And we go, mm-hmm, wait, huh? Like cannibal Jesus, what? Like what is, what are we talking about? And here's what I think Jesus is getting at. Right? Y'all like Girl Scout cookies? Where's my boy at that gave me these today? Hey, uh, my man. Okay, hey, thank you. Um, I'm gonna enjoy these later, so I'm, I'm not giving them to any of you, sorry. They are Samoas, the world's best Girl Scout cookies, okay? Okay, if you look at Girl Scout cookies, if I look at these Girl Scout cookies right here, and, and I, I want, right, if I look at these and I just, I put them up right here, okay? Seeing Girl Scout cookies, just looking at them will not satisfy my hunger. Right? If, I, if I just look at them and go, oh man, Samoa's Girl Scout cookies. Love that purple box. <laughs> just looking at them doesn't satisfy my hunger. Right? Knowing the ingredients in Girl Scout cookies doesn't satisfy my hunger. If I just, if I like look at the ingredients and I memorize the ingredients and I know everything about the ingredients, I know what makes up a Samoa, it doesn't satisfy my hunger. If I take a picture of the Samoans, they, that does not satisfy my hunger. Telling other people about Samoas. If I just come out here and I just sat down with you and I was like, oh, you Samoas, let me tell you about them. There's, there's a cookie inside and there's got like chocolate and then there's like a, some coconut drizzle and then there's this caramel drizzle. Mmm, Samoas. Right? If I just tell you all about them and I just go like, oh, this, there's such great cookies. Guess what that doesn't do? It doesn't satisfy my hunger. Talking about it, knowing the ingredients. If I go out and I just sell a bunch of Samoas and I go out and I give them away and I, I sell other people on it, it doesn't satisfy my hunger. If I take a box of Samoas and we just throw it around and I'm like, hey, you wanna play catch with this box of Samoas? And we just play with it. Guess what it doesn't do? It doesn't satisfy my hunger. Friends, nothing will satisfy our hunger and bring us life except for actually consuming intaking, partaking. So when Jesus looks at a crowd of people and he goes, look, y'all, like, you're all about being around me. You're all about talking about this. You were stoked when there was bread going around and there was fish and like the miracles were happening. You liked it when this was a good time. He says, but unless you actually partake and consume and make me not a lunchable Jesus, but a Jesus that everything in your life is about me, it will not bring you life. And I wanna end like this. Remember why John wrote his book? John chapter 20, verse 31. He said this, I write these things down so that you believe and that through believing in the person of Jesus, you might have life. John writes his entire gospel for one purpose. He says, I want you to believe in Jesus, not just know about him, not just know the stories, not just enjoy his camps or go to his youth groups or be in relationship with the youth pastors that talk about him or listen to other people. Friends, you sitting in this chapel, you have a decision to make. Every single one of us, hey, whether you're fully engaged with me right now or you can't wait for this chapel to be over, 
and you're tired and you're exhausted and you're slouching and you go, I like camp, but the chapel's eh. Every single one of us has the exact same crossroads. Are you gonna disregard Jesus? Are you gonna downplay Jesus? Or are you gonna be a disciple of Jesus like Peter? I love Peter's response. Y'all don't have to understand everything there is to know about Jesus. Remember what Peter says? Peter goes, eat your flesh and drink your blood. That's a hard teaching. In fact, I don't, I don't even feel like I fully understand that. And Peter's watching people walk away by the hundreds. And Jesus turns to them and they say, he says, what about you? You are now at a crossroads. What are you gonna do with Jesus? And I love Peter's response, friends. He just goes, Jesus, where else am I gonna go? You have the words of eternal life. I've seen too much. I've heard like Jesus, it's my life is about you. I don't fully understand it, but I've tried all of the other approaches and nothing leads me to life that's full, that's life that's abundant, that's life that's fully satisfied. Every single one of us has a deep, deep desire to be fully accepted and fully loved and fully known, and Jesus offers that. But we're at this crossroads right now where we go, is my life fully about Jesus, or is he just kind of an idea? Is he a historical figure? Is he a good teacher? Do I like the stuff that he gives me? Are we ready even and maybe especially in the moments where Jesus is confusing to go, I don't fully understand, but where else am I gonna go? Jesus, you have the words of eternal life. Pray with me. God, thanks for tonight. God, thank you for the opportunity that we have uh, to just gather in this chapel and talk about truth. God, as, as the sixth graders, the seventh graders, the eighth graders in this room are maybe at a crossroads this week God, would we be bold enough to maybe even ask that question, who is Jesus to me? Are there times where I just disregard him? Are there times where I downplay him? Or am I ready to be like Peter that goes, man, maybe I don't fully understand it. I still have a lot of questions. But where else would I go? There's no one else that satisfies. There's no one else that leads to life and life abundant. There's no one else that offers this eternal life that is a perfect love We love you. Thanks for loving us first. It's your name we pray. Amen. Amen.